0: In light of Christ and what he has done, provided for us, what we have in relating to him. As we interact with God's word, we want to be those who are doers of God's word, not hearers only. In light of what we discussed last week, the elders and I seek to do it each month, but we seek to take time to pray for those in our local body here at Roaring Brook. And I rarely mention numbers, but this past Tuesday night as the elders and I would have met, we would have prayed for 23 individuals or families. When I say 23, if we prayed for family, that counts as one. But it took time to pray for 23 separate individuals, families, or couples just seeking to be what we're called to be in light of what we discussed last week knowing shepherd, being shepherds, and caring for people, and ministering to people. A couple thought questions. Not looking for a verbal response from you, but think about them. Are you a Christian? If so, Why? Did you come to Christ and are you following him for what he will do for you or give you or because of who he is in his character, in his being, and his work on the cross and the resurrection? The next one might be a little more difficult. Are you eager and desiring to suffer for Christ? Christ? That is, to fellowship in his sufferings, that is, to suffer because of a desire to walk with him. If we pray that saints in other countries do not have to suffer for Christ, are we asking God to remove them from being blessed? Because scripture talks about those who are persecuted for Christ's sake being blessed. Does freedom of a religion have a downside or a dark side? We in America would say for many years we've had a freedom of religion. Does that have a downside or a dark side? We want to read together from Mark chapter 8 into chapter 9. And as we read Mark 8 into chapter 9, please keep in mind that The 12 are in training with Christ. They've been chosen by Christ and they're basically being trained to minister, but they're with him. They're observing. They're seeing how he ministers. And keep in mind that the Gospel of Mark was written probably to Roman believers who were undergoing persecution. So they were experiencing difficulty. They were participating in the sufferings of Christ they were fellowshipping in the sufferings of Christ Nero was ruler and he was not a you know a good guy and so on so keep that in mind as we read beginning with Mark 8 and verse 27 Mark 8 and verse 27 Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi on the way he asked them who do people say that I am They replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone anyone would come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, and this idolatrous and sinful generation The son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and he enveloped them. And a voice came from the clouds. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, What do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Now, as you think about the portion of Scripture that we read, please try to get the flow of the passage that the 12 are with Jesus. He has been teaching. He has been healing. In Mark 6, they have been sent out and ministered for a period of time, then came back and reported. Keep in mind the context also that Mark is writing to those in Rome who are being persecuted, who are going through difficulty. And as the people in Rome would have heard this passage, they would have identified with Christ. Christ suffered. He was rejected. We're suffering. We're being rejected. Some of us are being killed. Jesus also is speaking to the 12 in the sense that your master, Jesus, is going to be rejected. He's going to suffer and going to be killed. That's what's going to happen to you also because the twelve did not die natural deaths the one who did would have been persecuted beforehand and in the flow of the passage Jesus is revealing Mark is revealing who Christ is clearly in the context in verse 13 of chapter 9 or I'm sorry, verse 12. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? And then back in verse 7, this is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. In the context of Christ and who he is, clearly stated, this is my Son, God's Son, whom God loved. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. But also, the same one is the one who is going to be rejected by the elders, who is going to suffer many things and must die. Light of the flow of the text, faith is a judgment about Jesus and his character, his identity, his being, and a willingness to act on that judgment in face of persecution. Only a correct judgment of Christ and a willingness to act on it will enable one to stand tall in persecution and in rejection. Our judgment concerning Christ is vital, it determines the entire course of life. Now, stop and think about the 12 who are with Jesus. He asked them very clearly in verse 27. Who do people say I am? And the response is, John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. And then he brings it home and he says to the twelve, Who do you say I am? Peter says, You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Ah, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. And when they think of Christ, they think of him being the Messiah. And they think of what's coming. And apparently Peter along with the other 11, had a distorted view of Christ. So Jesus says, when he began to teach them in verse 31, that you must suffer many things, or the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and be killed. Is this Jesus, whom we are with, whom we are following, really the Christ. And Peter says, yeah, he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Ah, great! Jesus says, in essence, stop. Because messiahship involves suffering, being rejected, and being killed, and rising from the dead. And Peter says, basically... Lord, this is nonsense. Peter is rebuking Jesus because of what he said about suffering, being rejected, and being killed and rising from the dead. What does Jesus do? Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You're not having in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See, Peter along with the 11, still are not getting the idea fully. Who is this Jesus that we're following? Who is this Jesus that we're with? Oh, he's the Christ. But the Christ, being the Christ does not involve suffering, rejection, being killed, and then coming from the dead. But Jesus says in rebuke of Peter, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter, along with the other 11, you must understand that being the Christ involves suffering, rejection, going to the cross. And then he goes on to tell them that if anyone would choose to follow him, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it and then go so on, driving home the point of, is following Jesus may be costly. And after he states that at the beginning of chapter 9, we find that Jesus is transfigured before Peter, James and John. That is his true character, who he is comes out in his being and he appears in his brightness and his whiteness. What is the flow of the passage communicating? Jesus is the Son of God. Faith is a judgment about Jesus and who he is in his character, in his being, in his identity, and in what he did on the cross. And a choice to follow Christ for who he is. For Peter, when he was going to be crucified to say, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Christ. I want to be crucified in a different way. And they crucified Peter upside down. He had to be committed to the person of Jesus Christ. He didn't merely have a ticket to heaven. He didn't have a ticket escaping hell. He had a relationship with Christ. He knew who Christ was. He knew he was the Messiah, the Son of God. He knew that he was the one who would bring people from the dead. And for ten of the others who died on timely deaths, they were committed to the person of Jesus Christ. They had faith in him. And for the Roman believers, as they're in Rome, they receive Mark and they're thinking, we're being persecuted. We light Nero's garden, we get thrown to the lions. And they hear Mark read and they think, oh, no, we've been following Jesus Christ. He suffered, He was rejected, He was killed. And that's what has happened to some of us. We didn't value our lives. We're not valuing our lives. We're willing to die. What an encouragement to them. We get to suffer with Christ. But it was faith, a correct evaluation as the Spirit worked, of who Christ was. Now I want you to think about that in 21st century America. America. You go to your job. And in the course of working one day, they begin to gossip. And I'll use the word gossip about some other people. And in the course of their gossip, they're slandering the people that are being talked about. And you as a believer in Christ are there. And you know that Ephesians 4 says that the words that come out of your mouth are to be building and edifying. They're not to cut down. And you know that if you are committed to the person of Jesus Christ, you cannot participate in the gossip. You cannot cut down the person that they're talking about. And they say to you, Jeff, what do you think? And Jeff says, I'm sorry, I can't participate in this discussion because I'm committed to Jesus Christ. And in scripture it tells me that I'm to use only building words. And I don't want to tear the person down. I want to use building words. I want to say things to you that are going to be profitable and building. Oh, you're one of those holy rollers, huh? You may call you call me what you want, but I'm committed to Jesus. So two weeks later, somebody walks by Jeff and says, Oh, how's holy Jeff doing? See, so that's a form of rejection. Because there's a commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. Not merely escaping hell and going to heaven, but commitment to the person, person of Jesus Christ. You're a girl dating a guy. You like the guy. The guy professes to be a believer. And you've dated a short period of time. And the guy uh, says to you, everyone else makes out sexually. Let's do it. And the girl looks at the guy and says, I'm sorry. The answer is no. Because I'm committed to the person of Jesus Christ. And back in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 2, it talks, of, in Genesis 1 and 2, it talks about the sexual relationship that is designed for marriage. So the answer is no. You profess to be a believer, you should have the same Desire. The answer is no. Well, then I'm going to go tell all the guys that you don't do things like that, and I'm going to make fun of you. You may go and tell the guys, and you may tell whoever you want to about that, but I'm committed to Jesus Christ. See, that's faith for who Jesus is in day-by-day living. Because there's a knowledge of Christ. See discipleship and risk go hand in hand. Far too often we may offer salvation to people but not discipleship. Impossible persecution. Jesus invited the twelve to be with him. And inviting him to be with him, he's also inviting them to partake in his sufferings. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 that he had a longing, had a desire to participate, to know the sufferings of Christ. The 12 being invited to difficulty, to risk. The believers in Rome hearing this letter being read to them and they think, you know, we're being persecuted, we're suffering, we're being rejected, some of us have died. I think, well, that's what we signed up for, wasn't it? That's what we signed up for in Christ. Because we're following Christ. Not merely what he does. We're following him for who he is. As the son of God, as the Christ. As the one who performs miracles. And so on. Beloved. We present Christ to someone. We're not giving an invitation to merely escape hell and go to heaven. We're giving an invitation to follow Christ for who he is and his total character and his total being. Yes, we escape hell and we go to heaven as a result of being related to God through Christ. But we're following Christ. That involves risk. So one of the Roman believers is going to be going to their death, and as a Roman believer is being taken to be thrown to the lions, the person is very kind and humble and gentle to the person taking them, and says, I want you to know also that I pray for those in authority over us, been praying for Nero, and so on. That's discipleship. Bringing it over to 21st century America. Someone in your family has hurt you deeply. It's been a family struggle and a deep, deep hurt. And you think, you know, I'm a follower of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 tells me that I'm to be Willing to forgive us, Christ forgave me. And you go to the person and you say, you know, you you really hurt me deeply. But I'm coming to offer you forgiveness for what you have done. And they say, number one, I didn't hurt you, and if you think I need forgiveness, you're mistaken. If you think we were alienated now, we're going to be alienated even more and I'm going to tell others how stupid you are. And you still say, I just want you to know that I love you. I'm willing to forgive. And another family comes along and says to you, I hear that uh, you really treated relatives so and so poorly. What's wrong with you? If that's the way you are. well I'm a follower of Christ I'm to be willing to forgive and I'm going to continue to be willing to forgive that may be part of the suffering for Christ in 21st century America we're called to follow Christ Mark is revealing Christ in his glory and in his majesty. And that may involve rejection. That may involve suffering. And at this point in time in America, it does not involve death. It may someday. We don't know. Close with an example from 21st century America, following Christ for who he is. We have a president, President Obama. We had a President Bush before that. We had a President Clinton before that. And we could go back and name presidents. As we look at what Scripture says, we're to obey those in authority over us. We're to pray for those in authority over us. And it's so very easy for you and for me, and I'm including myself, I'm including you, because it's where we live to be critical of those in authority over us. To discuss what's happening in the world is one thing. I'm talking with a critical spirit to cut down that stupid Ignoramus, and you can finish whoever you want to put in there. That's different than intelligently discussing, you know, healthcare, whatever world events. But your intent is to tear down. And you're in the, <clears throat> where someone and people are talking. A group of people are talking about how terrible our government is and how terrible our president is. And someone says, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think all of us in this group profess Christ. But I can hear the vindictiveness in our voices against our president. Now, Scripture talks about the fact that we're to pray for those in authority over us. We're to respect them. We're to obey them. Our words are to be building. I'm telling you that. We've stepped out of being a disciple of Christ. Oh, you're just too picky. You know what our present is like. If that's the way you want to be. Just be that way. And they kind of reject you. So be it. Follow Christ. The Lord desires for us to follow him for who he is. Are you a Christian? If so, why? Are you following him for who he is, Christ, for who he is in his character and his being? Are you eager and desiring to suffer for Christ, to fellowship in his sufferings? Are you actually saying, Lord, you know, it would be neat if I could suffer some, be rejected some, because I'm just obeying you. Not because I'm making a fool of myself, just because I'm obeying you. I want to participate in Christ's sufferings. Perhaps we need to pray for those in other countries not so much that they won't suffer but in the midst of their suffering they'll be faithful to Christ. Because Jesus did say you'll suffer. Does freedom, have a dark, freedom of religion have a dark side or a downside? I think so. Because we can become complacent. And just buy into the culture. Remember, the 12 are being trained. The Roman believers would be encouraged as they think about Christ and who he is. Why are we following Christ? Because of who he is, I trust. And that becomes the incentive and the motive for being faithful. Day by day. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing to us who Christ is through his coming, living among humans, being rejected, suffering, dying, and then rising from the dead. And, Father, if we were to take time and ponder church history, we would find over and over again people suffered and were rejected and killed because of their faith in Christ. And I realize, Father, that we may not die in our country because of our faith in Christ, but we may be rejected by others. We may suffer just because in our day-by-day living we try to obey your word and live out Christ at work in us. May we be found faithful, not being complacent, but zealous to live out your word. And Father, we would pray for those in other countries think particularly of Syria and Egypt because of what has happened and is happening in those countries that are being persecuted for their faith Father may they grasp that the testing of their faith is going to demonstrate and prove that it is more precious than gold gold that is refined in fire May, set, may they set their hope father in the inheritance that they have in the future and that your inheritance is in them may you encourage them in the inner person father that they would remain faithful they would remain true because they're following Christ and I pray father that they might prepare their minds for action Set their hope fully on the grace that is to be given them when Christ is revealed and to be holy as you're holy. It's hard for us here in America to comprehend the type of suffering for Christ that would result in death. But we know our brothers and sisters in various parts of the world have experienced that. And we want to be faithful in praying for them. Now, pray, Father, for us as a congregation here at Roaring Brook that we might be faithful. And if it results in some rejection, some suffering, see that as part of walking with Christ. We love you, Father. Desire to be faithful to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.